You're listening to the Yoga Teacher Resource Podcast. Knowledge, techniques, and inspiration for your teaching and your practice. I'm your host, Mado Hesselink. If you're a yoga teacher who loves learning, is passionate about spreading the benefits of yoga, and desires more resources to support your teaching, you're in the right place. Let's get started with today's episode. With yoga studios closing left and right, more yoga teachers than ever are venturing into the wonderful world of entrepreneurship. Welcome. Hello, yoga teacher. If you're thinking about launching a new yoga business or you have a yoga business but want to make sure that your foundations are in place, this episode will give you an overview of where to start. Think of it as a roadmap of the startup phase so that you feel confident that you're taking the right steps at the right time. I have also created a written version in the form of a checklist for members of my email list. If you're already a subscriber, check your inbox for an email that will give you access. And if you're not yet subscribed, go to teachingyoga.net slash start, that's S-T-A-R-T, teachingyoga.net slash start, to sign up and get the checklist as soon as you confirm your subscription. Before we jump into the steps that you need to take to start a brand new yoga business, I want to make sure we're on the same page about what it means to be a business owner. For the past 20 years or so, most yoga teachers have been independent contractors who provide a service to a yoga studio, a fitness center, or a gym. While the exact duties might vary from location to location, the main responsibility is to show up and teach a class. In most cases, an independent contractor is not responsible for marketing, registration, taking payment, accounting, customer service, cleaning, creating the schedule, setting prices, or purchasing supplies. From a legal perspective, this setup has been a little bit problematic because most yoga studios do want to tell their teachers when, how, and what to teach. And many yoga studios also want their teachers to sign non-compete agreements that can prevent the teachers from accepting opportunities that would otherwise be beneficial to them. So in other words, some studios want to treat their teachers as employees without guaranteeing employment or benefits. So legal challenges to this business model are forcing some studios, especially in the state of California, to hire their teachers as employees, where their rights, responsibilities, and compensation are more clearly defined. And the additional cost to the studio will likely drive them to hire fewer teachers, so that the model of the yoga studio that has like 50 or 80 or 100 teachers who each just teach a few classes per week is probably on its way out. For more details on this topic, you can check out episode 117 called Yoga, Self-Worth, and the Law, which is an interview with a lawyer who specializes in yoga law. His name is Corey Sterling, and it's a really great episode. Now, COVID has switched everything up, shifted everything around, and accelerated some of the trends that were already happening with yoga studios closing. The number of jobs for yoga teachers, whether as a contractor or an employee, are definitely diminishing. So this is leading unprecedented numbers of yoga teachers to launch their own micro-businesses and become entrepreneurs. If you decide to become a business owner instead of a contractor or an employee, you increase both your levels of control and your levels of responsibility. As a business owner, you need to look at the big picture of how you're meeting the needs of your students 
and make strategic decisions to make that relationship, the relationship between teacher and student, mutually beneficial. So this means running your own classes, workshops, and events at locations, times, and price points that you decide. Now, this doesn't mean that you can't also contract to a studio, but it does mean that your goal is not to rely on one specific studio for the bulk of your income. You're going to make more strategic, big picture decisions as a business owner. Business ownership is not for the faint of heart. Let me be super upfront about that. This is not the easy path, but honestly, neither is teaching yoga, right? Owning your own yoga business is an opportunity to practice off-the-mat yoga every single day, especially in the early days when it's so easy to feel overwhelmed by everything there is to do to get your business off the ground. And I hope that this guide or this episode does more to help you feel in control and like you know what to do and doesn't make you feel overwhelmed, although there is that risk because honestly, there is a lot to do. All right, so now we're clear on what it means to own and run a business. Let's dive into the what you need to do to set yourself up as a business owner. If you're brand new to teaching, I want you to cut yourself some slack. I really hope that you do for how quickly you get this all accomplished. Because here's the thing, when you're new to teaching, you're building your skill set as a teacher, and that's a huge project all by itself. And I would hate to see you overload yourself and give up because you're trying to get too much done too quickly. So give yourself an entire year, I would say, to accomplish everything on this list. I know that might sound like way too much time and like you might feel impatient, but Give yourself a year, and if you get it done faster, awesome. If you're an experienced yoga teacher, but you're new to business, setting the foundations for a brand new business will still take more time than you imagine, but at least you don't have to do it while learning to teach at the same time. If you can set aside one to two full days per week to focus on this work, then I would say you can definitely get all of the foundations laid in about three months. Now, if you try to get this done in 30 minutes here and an hour and a half there, it will probably take longer because you won't be able to focus as well. Finally, if you have an existing yoga business and you're listening to this episode just to help you fill in the gaps in your foundation, you might be able to get those gaps filled within a few weeks or a month. And I hope that you also take time to acknowledge what you've already done. It's really easy for all of us to focus on what hasn't been done, but we need moments of savoring our accomplishments also. So really, this goes for everyone. Brand new teacher, experienced teacher, experienced teacher who has an existing business, everybody, we all need to savor our accomplishments. Part of why this episode is broken into six steps instead of just one long list is so that you can stop after each step and celebrate. In fact, I'd love for you to let me know as you accomplish each of these steps. Tag me inside the Yoga Teacher Resource Facebook group or on Instagram at yoga.teacher.resource so I can celebrate with you. Here's a few tips for getting through this list as efficiently as possible. Do your best to go through the checklist in the order I laid out here. 
I agonized over this order. I really put a lot of thought into which step went before another step. And the reason is that sometimes you can get hung up on, oh shoot, now this isn't done and I have to go back and do this. So I might not talk about each of these roadblocks in this episode just due to time, but trust me that if you skip around, you're more likely to run into roadblocks. Now, do your best does not mean be a perfectionist about it. If you have a really compelling reason to temporarily skip a step, make sure that you have a plan to come back to it, but keep moving by all means. Also, some of these items are going to turn into long-term ongoing projects, and I'm specifically thinking about market research and networking. You definitely don't need to finish those long-term projects before continuing to the next item. I just mean you want to get your systems in place for those long-term projects so that you can keep moving forward with them and you don't lose steam. Now, if you get stuck somewhere, take a break, give yourself a little mental break, move on to the next item and make a plan to come back so that you don't end up with a hole in your foundation. Okay. With those words of advice, let's jump into the six steps. Step one is laying the basic legal and financial structures for your business. You want to choose your business name. Now, your business name is not necessarily a legal thing. You can, at least in the U.S., you can operate under any business name you choose at any time without needing to register it anywhere. So you're thinking about basically the public face for your brand And for a lot of people, it definitely makes sense to just use your name or your name plus yoga or something incorporating your name. And the reason for this is that most of the people you know, know you by your name. So if you have really big ambitions to grow your business beyond you and you're going to end up having a big team and other yoga teachers working for you then by all means, choose something that's not your name. But again, you can change this at any time. So yes, it's the first step, but also don't spend a ton of time agonizing over it because you can always change your DBA or your doing business as name. Next action item on step one is to decide on your legal structure. And this is the point where you do register with the state or your local government if you are choosing a legal structure that requires that. I'm most familiar with the legal structures in the United States. And in the United States, you can run a sole proprietorship without registering anywhere. Now, the other legal structure that a lot of yoga teachers choose is an LLC or a limited liability corporation. And there's a couple reasons for choosing this. It does require that you register with the state and pay a fee. So there's a little bit more paperwork and complexity involved, but it protects your personal liability and it also creates a a bit more separation for business and personal assets. And the IRS really likes to see that separation. So if you are brand new and you are really just trying to get your foundations in place as easily as possible, you could skip 
registering as an LLC for now. But if you're more established and you feel like you are going to generate more momentum pretty quickly, then it might make sense. I have an LLC established and that also allows me to have an EIN, which is a kind of like a social security number for my business. So my business bank accounts are not under my own personal social security number. Instead, they're under my EIN. Once you have decided on your legal structure and registered, if you're choosing to do so, you will want to set up a business bank account. It's very important to separate your business finances from your personal finances, not just because the IRS likes it, but because it gives a lot more clarity to you. You want to be really clear each time you spend money. Is this a business expense or is this a personal expense? When money comes in, is this money coming into your business or is this somebody repaying a personal loan or something else like that? So definitely set up a business bank account. If you do not have an EIN, you'll have to check with your bank. Sometimes your bank will require an EIN for an official business bank account, but you can still open a separate bank account for your business without an EIN. The next action item for legal and financial foundations is to set up a way to get paid. Now, most of us have a PayPal account. Again, you'll want to make sure that you have a, an account that is specific for your business. So don't try to use your personal PayPal for your business. Some other common payment processors are Stripe and Squarespace. I personally use Stripe. I've had really good experiences with it. They have a, a lot of features that are really wonderful. And I will tell you that I'm no longer a fan of PayPal. Even though a lot of people are familiar with PayPal and comfortable with PayPal, I don't love them because when it comes to accounting, PayPal ends up making your books kind of messy. Basically, they add a whole bunch of unneeded transactions for like placing a hold on the money that's coming in or going out. And then you have to make sure that there aren't too many transactions and that they all equal out to what they're supposed to. So once I started really paying attention to my accounting and my bookkeeping, I became disenchanted with PayPal. So I highly recommend Stripe or Squarespace. And speaking of bookkeeping, that is the final action item in step one is set up some bookkeeping software. If you're just starting out, Wave is really good because it's free. I also know people who love FreshBooks. And if you are integrating directly with Stripe or are accepting transactions in multiple currencies, then Xero, X-E-R-O, is really good for that. Okay, so that is step one. Now, once you get that done, remember, make sure that you take some time to pat yourself on the back, to give yourself a treat, to do something really wonderful for yourself. If you get all of the action items in step one accomplished, you will be more organized and more professional than 99% of yoga teachers, I am pretty sure. Step two is to create a simplified business plan. Here are some of the things I really want to see in your business plan. One, your mission statement and your goals. Why are you in business? What do you want to create through your business? Two, your niche. 
Who do you serve? And very specifically, what problem or problems do you solve for what type of person? Usually mission statement and goals is pretty easy and fun. Niche is hard. So I have a few episodes already that I've done on niche, and I will link to them in the show notes. Three, decide the structure of how you're going to work with people. Are you going to work with people one-on-one, group classes, online courses? Are you going to create a membership? Lay that out in your business plan, and that will include your pricing. Pricing is also a big roadblock for a lot of people, so I will also link in the show notes to a couple of episodes that I've done about how to price your offerings and also about money mindset to help you figure out what prices to choose and what to think about when you're choosing your prices. Once you've thought through your business plan and your business model, you will have accomplished step two. And just like with step one, you'll already be so ahead of the game to have thought through these things. So when you're done with step two, don't forget to celebrate. You are really doing this. You are doing what it takes to become an entrepreneur and to take ownership over the ways that you share your passion for teaching yoga with your students. And that is an amazing thing. Step three is about creating systems around networking and personal connections. If you haven't already signed up for calendar software to make scheduling easier, I hope you will. I personally use Acuity software. And I really like them because they integrate with Zoom, they automatically translate time zones, they accept payment. If you already have a scheduling software in place that you like, there's no need to switch, at least not at this point. You just want to make sure that you do have that in place so that when you're trying to meet with people, you're not emailing back and forth, which can take forever and be really annoying, but you can really just choose a time on their calendar or they can choose a time on your calendar. The next action item is to reach out to the people already in your network and share some relevant details from your business plan with them. Basically, announce your business and let them know who you help and what you help with to make it easy for them to refer people to you. This leads into the next step, which is one of those things that I was describing in the very beginning as being a big ongoing project, which is market research. So now you have a sense of who you want to help and what you want to help with. Now you need to get into the trenches and really talk to people. Talk to a lot of people who fit the bill of the type of people you want to work with, who have the struggles, the challenges, the aspirations that you feel like you're really best at helping with. A lot of times when I talk about this project with yoga teachers, they feel a little shy, nervous. They're not sure what that would look like. And here's the deal. You just have to do it. You just have to get in the trenches and invite people to have conversations with you. Let them know that you're not selling anything, that you just want to hear their stories and offer a little bit of reflection and advice. I would say make a plan to do five to 10 of these market research conversations 
as this action item for step three, and then keep going, keep doing them along the way as you go. But once you've done five or 10, you'll kind of have a sense of how that would work. You'll set up a appointment type in your scheduling software. You'll invite people to book it and you'll link to Zoom, meet up on Zoom. If you wanna do it some other way, like call people or meet in person, that's totally fine too. The important thing is that you get started and that you think of it as a long-term ongoing mindset of listening to the type of people you wanna work with so that as you're creating your offerings for them, that you're doing so based on what they're telling you they want and need. Okay, rounding out step three, is action item number four, make a list of people who you would like to partner with, collaborate with, or work with in some way, and just start reaching out to them, have some kind of system for reaching out. Perhaps you'll schedule 30 minutes per week for reach out. And it is nice definitely to have some idea of what you're reaching out for. So this could be podcast hosts. This could be people who have an online community. This could just be people whose work you admire. Maybe you want to collaborate on a workshop with them. Maybe you want to interview them for your new podcast or just do a Facebook Live with them. So you want to have a sense of, you know, what are you asking them for? You could also just ask them for a connection call if you don't know anything else. But the thing is that you will have a harder time depending on like, do you already know these people? How big is their audience? How big is their reach? You'll have an easier time reaching people who are better known if you have a clear structure and a clear proposition for them versus just a connection call. Now, if you already know someone or you're kind of at the same level of teaching experience and audience size, then they may be happy to do a connection call without anything more structured, but just know that you're not going to get responses every time you reach out. So I want to say that up front because sometimes I work with people and I give them this advice and they're like, well, I reached out to three people and only one got back to me. I'm like, yeah, that's totally normal. That's to be expected. So just keep going, just keep reaching out and you will build your network and you will build your audience that way as well. So that is it for step three. And as with every single step, I hope you celebrate once you have that done. That one's a little bit bigger. That one's a little bit longer than some of the than steps one and two, but you can definitely do it. And again, with this networking, just like with the market research, it's not like you're going to do it four times, five times, and then be done. You're going to get your systems in place and have a regular ongoing practice of reaching out. And that's how you know that your action item is done and you're ready to move on to step four, which is your website. So the first website you create, please don't make it a big deal. Please don't make it a big, complicated website. That is the biggest thing that's going to get you stuck. You could be stuck there for six months easily. Make a simple website, make a starter website. What about a one-page website? That would be enough. If you don't already have a website for your very first website, one page is plenty. Here's what you need to do. You need to register for a domain and hosting. You need to choose your platform and your theme, write your content, collect your images, 
and then hit publish. And I want you to know that a website is always a work in progress. A website's never done. This is kind of the biggest misconception that people have about websites. They're like, I want to finish my website. That doesn't exist. Your website is always going to be a living, breathing, constantly evolving entity. And if a website that is done is a dead website and it's not going to do anything for you. First of all, search engines love websites that are updated frequently. Secondly, you need to have up-to-date information on your website. Things change. Your website needs to change with it. And thirdly, it's so much easier to add features a little bit at a time than it is to try to create some big complex monstrosity right off the bat. So if you're brand new, you might check out Offering Tree. They have an all-in-one platform. It includes website, email, um, scheduling, and a whole bunch of other things for a pretty low monthly rate. Now, if you are more experienced and you're wanting to kind of go bigger, Offering Tree might not be robust enough. Their, their template is very, very simple, and all the Offering Tree rep websites are going to look pretty similar to each other, which is totally fine if you're just starting out. The cool thing about Offering Tree is that I've had brand new yoga teachers with zero tech experience tell me that they got their website done in one day. So if technology is not super fun for you, start with that kind of a really simple platform, really simple website. And then over time, as your business grows and expands, you can invest in a more custom website down the road. So what if you already have a starter website? Well, awesome. First of all, good for you. If you already have a starter website, you can look at it from the perspective of the person that you decided in your business plan that you really want to help and ask yourself, when I look at this, does this really speak directly to that person? Is it very, very clear that this is who you help and this is what you help with? So there's always room for improvement with every single website. The most beautiful website in the world, the most expensive website in the world, I guarantee the most expensive website in the world has lots of room for improvement because it probably means it's really complicated. But what I'm saying is that you can improve your website. And the most important way to improve it is to improve the words on it. The most beautiful website in the world is not going to book you clients if the words on your website don't speak directly to them. Don't make it very clear very quickly that you can help them. So whether you create a starter website from scratch or you refine your existing website to be more specific and more clear, make sure that you do something to celebrate before moving on to step five, which is all about getting your email list started. In order to set your email list up, the first thing you need to do is sign up for an email marketing platform. The one that's most common for yoga teachers is MailChimp. I'm not a fan of MailChimp because there's certain things that you're going to want to be able to do down the road that MailChimp doesn't do very well. Now, if you're already signed up with MailChimp and you already have subscribers, you don't have to switch yet. You can just wait until you run into something that MailChimp can't do for you. 
However, if you're just starting out, you might as well start with a service that you're going to stick with a little bit longer. So I personally use ConvertKit and ConvertKit does have a free plan for up to a thousand subscribers. What you cannot do with that free plan is automations. So you can't do an automated welcome sequence with that free plan. That's the same on MailChimp. I believe it's the same for most email marketing platforms that if you want to do those automated sequences, you have to pay. But you can send emails, single emails to your list, which is perfect for starting out. So you will just sign up for that platform and they will want you to have a custom email address, meaning hello or your name at yourdomain.com. So for me, it would be mado at teachingyoga.net. Usually that is done through your hosting provider, meaning your website hosting provider. I personally use a host called SiteGround and SiteGround has all my custom email addresses. Once you are signed up with an email marketing platform like MailChimp or ConvertKit, you will want to think about what is in it for your students or your clients to sign up for this. What are you going to email them? You can go back to your business plan now and thinking about the services that you want to provide, what is a little tiny win, a small step that you can offer them for free in exchange for signing up for your email list? So as an example, that's a little bit meta. The checklist that I'm offering as a companion to this episode is a lead magnet for me. Some of you who have not yet signed up for my email list will decide that, yeah, heck yeah, that is worth it. That will be really helpful for you. That will help you take a step forward or maybe a whole bunch of steps, six steps forward in your yoga business. And once you're on my email list, I will email you once a week about the podcast and occasionally about some other special events that I'm doing. So you will want to think about what are you going to email your list on a regular basis? Is there something that you will offer them on a weekly, bi-weekly, or monthly basis that will be helpful and valuable to them? Once you have a lead magnet and an email marketing platform, it's time to get that lead magnet out there and just know that you can't just post this lead magnet once and expect that hundreds of people are going to jump on your email list. First of all, you want to make sure it's the right lead magnet, that it's something that really speaks to the people you're trying to attract. And secondly, it can take time just to get the messaging around the lead magnet right. So the point is, as with all of these, is to just get started, get your first draft out there, start getting feedback, start noticing what works and what doesn't work, and refine as you go. If you're a bit more advanced and maybe you already have an email list and a lead magnet, then the next step would be to write a welcome sequence. And like I said before, you do need to have a paid version of an email marketing platform in order to do this. But the welcome sequence is a series of emails that will go out at regularly specified intervals, like maybe daily or every few days, to each person who signs up. To continue using the checklist as an example, if you sign up to get the checklist, then for the first five days that you're on my email list, I'm going to send you one tip 
each day to making it as an entrepreneur, as a yoga entrepreneur. So I'm going to send you my top five tips, one per day for the first five days that you're a subscriber. And the goal of the welcome sequence is to build trust, to build connection, and to position yourself as an authority on the topic that you're wanting to help people with. So again, this is an advanced technique. Only take this on right now if you already have an email list and a lead magnet that's working. Otherwise, put this in your back pocket for the future. By the way, if you're interested in learning more about how to use email to connect with your students and clients and to invite them to sign up for things where they actually take action, I have a mini training that you can sign up for anytime. I will include the link to that as well in the show notes. It's called Email Magic because honestly, I think email is a little bit magic. And once you're done setting up your email list and you've created a lead magnet, put it out there, then you are done with step five. And that will be the second to the largest celebration yet because you're almost done with this list. The final step, step six, is to get your first or your next clients, start working with people and collect testimonials. So you want to make sure that you have all the platforms you need for delivering your service. So for example, Zoom or a video hosting service or an online course platform, whatever your business model lays out, you'll need to sign up for that. And then you'll want to invite people to sign up for some free consults. And on the call, if it feels like a good fit, invite them to work with you. A couple of things here. First of all, if you're newer, I highly recommend choosing one to a one-to-one business model, at least at first, because you'll learn so much more about how to work with people. Plus, you don't need as big an audience to find to fill up your one-to-one roster. Also, this is a point where your market research calls can sometimes start to morph into sales calls. Now, you don't want to bait and switch people. You definitely don't want to tell people you're not going to sell them something and then sell them something, right? So you might start to frame your calls a little bit differently. Or perhaps at the end of the call, instead of selling them then and there, you can say, hey, listen, I think we'd be a good fit to work together. I promise not to sell anything on this call, so I want to honor that. But if you are interested in setting up another call to talk about working together, here's how to do that. The truth is that those market research calls might end up organically leading to meeting people that are really good fit to work with you. And once you've figured that out, especially if they've figured it out too, then the invitation is actually pretty easy. Some stats that I have heard in the past is that when you're doing one-to-one sales calls, meaning that you're inviting people to work with you in a one-on-one setting, people will generally have about a 25% success rate with that. That's considered normal or standard. I personally have had a much higher rate than that, but I think there's some other factors involved with that. But just as a general rule, 25% is what you can expect to say yes. So one out of four people. Now that might not sound awesome (laughs) to face rejection three out of four times, But compared to the success rate of one-to-many marketing platforms, such as email and social media, 
that usually has a one to 2% success rate. So this is like 25% more likely, wait, 25 times more likely to be successful. That's why for your first clients, even though it might feel scary, do the scary thing and invite people to work with you where it is a personal invitation that you, one person, is making to one other person at a time. And if you don't take my advice, which a lot of you probably won't, and you send out those email invitations and not enough people are signing up, not as many people as you wanted, remember my words and see if you can get them on the phone. See if you can make a personal connection and a personal invitation. And chances are good that you will get way more people signing up to work with you that way. Once you do have a few clients, make sure to ask them for testimonials so that you have that social proof because the first clients are always the hardest to get. And once you have some clients, it's like your confidence level is going to expand and you're going to talk about your work differently and people are going to be more comfortable working with you the more experience you have. Phew, okay, that was a lot. And I know that some of those steps are easier said than done where I'm like saying, and get your first clients and it's not that easy. But if you do all of the steps that I have laid out in the order I've laid them out, it's gonna be a lot clearer what to do when you get to that place. And it's gonna be a lot easier than if you don't do everything else beforehand and you just try to jump to having clients. Whether you are completely new to business and haven't done a single one of those steps yet, or you're feeling pretty good about what you've done so far after listening to this episode, the only way to get where you wanna be is to take the first step. And now that you know what needs to be done, pull out your calendar and set aside the time that you'll need to do the work. Definitely plan on everything taking more time than you think it will at first. So as you look at a task and you estimate how long you think it'll take, double or triple that. That way you could end up with extra time, which would be awesome, but you also won't be as crunched or as disappointed when things do inevitably take longer. Building a brand new business can be a grind because there is so much work to be done before you see reward. So make sure that you celebrate each step of the way. I know that once you get that first client or that next client, that's going to be the biggest celebration. That's going to be the biggest validation. But if you don't do all the steps beforehand, if you don't do all the other steps, you're going to lose steam. So as you pencil in these times to work on your business and times to work on different aspects of your business... This would also be a great time to think about and decide how you're going to celebrate. Are you going to celebrate with a weekend away, a special dinner, indulging in something that you normally wouldn't spend money on? You get to decide what would feel like a celebration for you. And as a reminder, I would love to celebrate with you. So feel free to tag me inside the Yoga Teacher Resource Facebook group or on Instagram at yoga.teacher.resource so that I can give you virtual high fives and acknowledge what you have done, what a big deal it is to take these steps. 
Remember also that if you want that printable checklist of every step and every action item in this episode, go to teachingyoga.net slash start, where you can join my email list and get access to the checklist, plus my top five tips for building a successful yoga business, which you'll get one email per day for five days. Finally, while I have your attention, I want to remind you that your self-care as a business owner is just as important as the items that you check off your list. So perhaps you could even plan out self-care along the way while you have your calendar out. Treat your body, your mind, and your nervous system with the same care as you treat your students because you are worthy of rest, pleasure, and joy no matter what you do or don't accomplish. That's all for this week. And heads up that the podcast is taking a break for the month of December so that I can take my own advice and focus a bit more on self-care because I've been working like crazy lately. The next episode is going to be released on December 31st. So mark your calendar for that if you're excited for it. And thank you so much for listening and thank you for caring enough to teach yoga.